Tonight, I'd like you to join me, please, in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. As you're turning to that text, just a reminder that last week we looked at the relationship between man and wife. Tonight, we look at the relationships within the church itself. And as we go through this passage of Scripture, you'll see that we are told how to love each other, how to respond to God in such a way that we not only uh, benefit from it personally, as well as as a church body, but also that we help uh, the the influence that the church has in our community. In verse 8, finally, all of you have the unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He starts out with verse 8 saying, all of you. So we must understand that in order to have the kind of unity that Jesus wants us to have, it can't be done with just 95% of us. We need all of us. We need to show that unity, even though we may be thinking some different things. For example, we all have our own likes and dislikes, for example. This doesn't mean that everybody's going to like the same thing, going to feel the same way about everything, but that we come together in spite of our differences and we work together as a unit. I remember one time somebody making a negative comment, and, and I said, well, why can't you work in agreement with the rest of the group? And the response was, well, can't I have my own opinion? And I said, yes, you can have your opinion, but no, you can't allow your opinion to cause division within the group. When we come together, we need to protect the unity of the body of Christ, which is what he talks about in the first of these qualities. He says, have unity of mind, to be harmonious. We see in the Bible that uh, we are told to have unity. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In chapter 4, verse 13, talking about how we are to, to grow up together in Christ, it says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And there's other places, too, that talk about having the harmony as well. For example, in Romans 15, verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Or how about this one in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So we need to work together in harmony. The next quality you see here is the word sympathy. And the word sympathy here doesn't mean what we normally think of when we say, well, I have sympathy for so-and-so as far as I have, uh, I'm sorry for what they're going through and I want to help out. The word here actually means understanding in this particular context. That I have sympathy, that I have understanding of one another. I, I know where you're coming from. You know where I'm coming from because we're known by each other. We are to have brotherly love. We are to have a tender heart to be good-hearted towards one another. 
and a humble mind, which means to be humble in contrast of someone's boastfulness. That when they are boasting, that instead of responding in the way that they do, we would do it through a humility, through a sense of a humble mind. You'll notice that these five qualities focus around two body parts, the head, which is the mind, and the heart. And we know that Scripture is always telling us that whatever we think about, we love. Whatever we love, we think about. That we are to focus on renewing our mind through Scripture. That we are to make sure that we love the right kind of things. John said that if you have a love for the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. So when we think about how to treat each other, verse 8 is a list of what to do. Well, verse 9 is the opposite. Verse 9 is do not do. It says, do not repay evil for evil. And the idea of evil here is talking about harm that is caused by evil intent. We are not to pay back evil, to, to hurt them back when they hurt us. He also says, don't repay reviling for reviling, which means uh, an insult Speech that is highly insulting to one another. Words of uh, negativity and criticism. That we are not to fight with each other, going back and forth, being uh, hateful towards each other, but instead we are to be loving. When you think about this, I've, I've given you in the past Romans twelve eighteen. Well, if you start in verse 17 through 19, here's what you get. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we are not to repay evil for evil. We are not to repay reviling for reviling. Jesus has given us the example. We saw this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When Jesus was reviled, it says, He did not revile in return. When he, was, when he suffered, He did not threaten. So in our text tonight, instead of paying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, he says, on the contrary, bless, which means it's the kind treatment of the unkind, how we treat those who are being unkind to us. The world says that you can do whatever you want to in retaliation, but Jesus says that we are to bless them. When you think about the Beatitudes, bless those who persecute you, bless those who despitefully use you. And in the text tonight, he says that, first of all, this is what you were called for. You were called to be like Christ. Now, when we think about being like Christ, sometimes we think about the good stuff, about being holy, about doing the right thing and so forth. But also being like Christ means that we're going to suffer like he did, that we're going to go through the ridicule like he did. And if we do this... Peter says that as you bless others, you will become or you will obtain a blessing. Now, this should not be our focus. We shouldn't be walking around saying, okay, I want to bless you so I can get something out of the deal. We should bless others because of obedience. But as we bless others, we do recognize that we are blessed. In verses 10 and 11, we see a, a quotation from Psalms 34. 
Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now, we'll save verse 12 for just a moment, but in these two verses, verse 10 and 11, if you want to have a good life, if you want to have uh, good days, then it's not waiting to see what happens to you to determine if you have a good day or not. You are to take action. You are to keep your tongue from evil, it says. You are to keep your lips from speaking deceit. Proverbs says that there's life and death in the power of the tongue. We see all kinds of places where we are to keep our words gracious and full of love, full of truth, that we are to speak the truth in love, that we are not to let any corrupt talk come out of our mouth. We are to use our tongue in a way that builds people up and strengthens them. And in verse 11, we are to turn away from evil and do good. We are to repent of our sins. We are to turn away from the evil stuff and do what is right in the eyes of God. And as we do so, again, we'll be pleasing to Him. It says also that we are to seek peace. And I want to warn you tonight, there's a big difference in seeking peace the way that God intends you to do and compromising the Word of God in order to have peace. No matter what the decision is, no matter what the topic is, you were never ever to go against the Word of God in order to keep peace with somebody else. Ever. They say, well, this should be okay. Well, God's Word says it's not. So you don't compromise but as much as it depends upon you, Romans twelve eighteen, live at peace with all people. If you can please God, live according to His words, and still have peace with that person, then that's the target you're looking for. However, if you cannot have peace with that person because you're living for God, doing the right thing, then God will take care of it. That's not for you to worry about. Now, in light of those two verses, now look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. I think it's easy to say, I want to have my answered prayers, right? You want your prayers answered as well. But if we want our prayers to be answered, we have to do things the way that God wants it done, and that's obedience. And that comes from being righteous, which, mean, which means uh, being in right standing with Him. The eyes of God are on those who are in right standing with Him. Because, the last part of that verse says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If we're obedient, the eyes are upon us. If we're disobedient, He turns His face from us. If we are obedient, His ears are open to our prayers. Psalm says that if I have iniquity in my heart, if I cherish iniquity, then He will not hear my prayers. So if we want God to hear us, we need to make sure that we are obedient to Him and that we're doing what we should be doing. In verse 13, he asked this question. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? In other words, why would somebody harm you if you're just doing what is right and loving? 
Now, granted, that will happen. But the fact of the matter is, you can't control what they do. You can only control what you do. And what you do should be pleasing to God. And that's why he says that we are to live lives apart from deceitfulness, apart from sin, and do what is right. In verse 14 tonight, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And then look at these two phrases here. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now when we think about suffering for righteousness' sake, we saw recently in chapter 2, verse 19, in chapter 2, verse 20, that it is a gracious thing in the eyes of God. Meaning that we, we find favor with God when we endure this kind of treatment when we have done the right thing. And the idea of not being troubled by them means don't be intimidated by them. That when these people are reviling against you, these people are speaking evil of you, do not fear them and do not be intimidated by them. If somebody intimidates you, you back down. And he's not saying to back down in the fight, but he is saying, do not back down in your faith. That which is right, that which is honorable, that which is godly, continue to stay focused in that direction. And I've said for years, you don't have to defend yourself. God will take care of it. I know our first response is, is to jump right on it and start telling them why we think we're right. But God says, I will take care of it. Vengeance is mine. We need to make sure that we're telling people, this is what God's Word says. Lovingly, without apology, that we stand firm in this Word. And when we do suffer, when we do face different types of uh, ridicule, that we are not to back down, we're not to compromise, and we're not to water down the message of Christ. In fact, in our text, look at verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor Him. Reverence Him. Keep pointing Him. Do everything that glorifies Him. Glorify Him with your speech and with your actions and with your thoughts. We glorify Him as holy and we're always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That we are always prepared when somebody says, well, why do you believe in this Jesus? Why do you believe in this God you've never seen? Why do you put all this time and energy into doing this kind of stuff? What if you're wrong? We go back to what we know. And if you are a Christian, you know that God saved you. And those who are godly around you recognize the fruit of that is being produced by your life because of the change that God has placed in you. He says, make this defense. He says to do it with gentleness and respect and that we are to have a good conscience. Because if we have a good conscience, if we're doing the right thing, then when they slander us, what does it say? That those who revile your good behavior... Those who criticize your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 
And then in verse 17, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be the Lord's will or God's will, than for doing evil. It's better to suffer good if God wants you to suffer for this particular reason. Because if He wants you to suffer, there's a reason for it. Remember, we said there's a reason for everything. If something happens according to God's will, there's a reason He chose for that to happen. And He will use that for His glory. But for tonight, I want to give you a head start into Sunday's message when we think about this phrase, the will of God, or God's will. And so I want you, if you will, to think about it in two different ways. I was studying today for the message this coming weekend. And in this particular passage of Scripture, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And as I thought about the, the phrase, the will of God, I found this in one of my commentaries. And what he said in this commentary was basically saying this. Think about it this way. There are two ways to look at God's will. There's one aspect of God's will that deals with his plans and his purposes in terms of history. And in that particular case, whatever God wills, it's going to happen. So, for example, at a particular time, Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. That was according to his plan. The people of the Jerusalem uh, army, the, the soldiers, the high priest, everybody involved. Everybody who attacked Jesus, they did so according to the plan of God when we think about what God is doing throughout time, that His will is going to take place no matter what. For example, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. He chose us, He predestined us for adoption before the foundation of the world, for what purpose? His will, in order to make us as sons through Jesus Christ, according to His will, according to His plan. The Apostle Paul said he was called to be an apostle by the will of God. God chose him. God planned this out. When you think about Jesus being crucified, again, it was done by the will of God, according to the plan. But the other aspect of the will of God doesn't deal with so much what He has already planned, but what He has commanded us to do. And so for here, in this part, I want you to think about obedience. That His will means doing His will, which means that we are to obey Him. And an example in John four thirty four, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. I am to obey Him. I am to do the will of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you always do... What this says, do you always give thanks in every situation? And of course the answer is no, we don't always do that. But it's God's will that we do that. 
So here's what I want you to get. Concerning history, concerning his plan and his purposes and so forth, whatever God's will is, is going to happen no matter what. But as concerning the obedience factor, his will is given to us. He's, told, he's telling us what to do, and we must respond to it. And the question is, are we doing that? So when somebody says, well, if, if it's God's will that the elect will be saved, then why should we pray for them, and why should we share the gospel with them, and why should we uh, teach them, and so forth? Well, the fact of the matter is, it is His will because He has chosen them. However, we are to be obedient to God by uh, discipling people and, and reaching out with evangelism. We are to pray for one another. We are to do that. And then also, God uses the Spirit and the Word of God to regenerate a person so they are saved through the hearing of the Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So yes, it's God's will, but there's obedience involved in this package. So yes, it does matter. No matter what goes on in anything else, we know we are to obey God in all aspects. If we don't understand it, that does not excuse us from obeying it. And so we just simply say, Lord, because you say so, I will do so. So as we think about the will of God tonight, it's either something that he is doing according to his plan, or it is something that he wants us to do, and he's calling us to obedience. So the question as we close tonight, are we being obedient to God? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we living our lives by the Spirit, as he says in Galatians 5.16? Because if we are, we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. So I challenge you tonight to ask yourself if you are loving your church family like you should be and praying for your church family and living in harmony with one another in such a way that the world sees that we are the children of God. Are you obeying Christ? And are you studying His Word to be more like Him? Heavenly Fathers, we have read Your Word tonight. I pray that You have been glorified. And I pray that You'd help us to respond in a way that honors You. And I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.